0: welcome to the edges of lean i'm bella engelbach and in this podcast we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking unusual places where lean thinking is practiced we meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles so come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean Episode 70, Continuous Improvement and Empathy with Anjani Mahabasha. Anjani Mahabashya had a childhood dream to be a doctor. and She achieved her dream and she got her dream job working in a premier medical center. Everything literally came crashing down the day she had a devastating fall. She's here to share what she learned about empathy and why empathetic leaders matter when employees are at their most vulnerable. This is a story all continuous improvement leaders who care about respect for people should hear.
1: Anjani Mahabashya welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you so much, Bella, for having me on today. Anjani,
0: it's very nice to have you and it's, it's wonderful to have you here. And you have such an interesting story. So can you please tell us what it is that you're doing today and a little bit about your pathway to doing that because it's quite unusual.
1: Thank you, Bella, again, and uh, to all our listeners today, I have three takeaway points that will come along my story. The first one is hope, uh, even when everything seems to be falling apart in your life. The second one is networking. How do you build yourself back up? And the third one is empathy, to give something back to the community or others when your cup is full. I am currently a physician advisor at the Geisinger Medical Center, Danville, Pennsylvania. Uh, Prior to that, I was a hospitalist at Holy Spirit, another Geisinger facility in Harrisburg. Prior to that, a hospitalist in Iowa as well. And uh, my current practice is as a physician advisor in Geisinger. So what does a physician advisor do? It's a newer development, been there about like a few years. So we are like a bridge between physicians, insurance companies, and the leadership. What my Uh. role, yeah, it's like a bridge. I literally have like a 360 degree vision of what is going on. So I do different things. The first thing I do is like deal with insurance companies because most of the insurance companies these days are tightening the screws. They're not really paying the hospitals the amount of copay for our patients is increasing because they're you know, saying that we're not going to pay for this particular procedure or this particular state. So I'm actually fighting for our patients in the hospital and for the hospital to re- get that appropriate payment based on what's going on. Again, most of it is value-based care uh, where we are sticking within the limits of value-based care and also sticking with the rules of insurance companies. And my main, uh, Um, work is also about Medicare. I also have to follow Medicare guidelines very precisely. And this is one part of it. The second part of it is educating physicians because most of the physicians are taking care of patients. They really don't know what's going on with these insurance companies. The zillion rules that come up every single day that, you know, okay, we're gonna do this today. We're gonna do that today. So I think uh, my uh, role again, focuses on educating the providers. Again, I don't tell him everything because it's overwhelming. They don't have to know everything that I know. Uh, however, they telling them the why, educating them why we do what we do and why is it important what happens when that is not done and how it affects both the hospital revenue and the patient satisfaction score so that part of education is my uh, focus and uh, the third thing is uh, again looking through what is happening you know where are we um, uh, where could we improve how could we innovate how could we do things differently so in our meetings we mainly focus on what is that we could do differently to make this process smoother, better, and uh, innovate, whether it's whether it is in terms of educating our providers or having that dialogue with insurance companies. So it's it's kind of I have a look like a vision of everything. We're looking at the revenues, we know where the money is like, you know, really going. So it's a bit of everything.
0: And there's a big continuous improvement piece of that, which which is, I think, really important for. For the patients, for the physicians, and and I guess also for the insurance companies, right? I mean, because it seems to me that one of the big wastes that we see in healthcare is actually all of the time and the money and the people that are involved in in solving these disagreements about about payment and treatment and uh, who gets to make those decisions. Wow, wow! So when you started out, Anthony and to become a physician, what was your vision of what you were going to do?
1: Um, thanks for that question, Bella. And um, I, uh, to me, be a doctor, being a doctor is a childhood dream. Um, it's because I lost my father very young; like I was only twelve, and uh, huh. I it was for a medical illness and i really wanted only to be a doctor and uh, i didn't want anybody else to you know go through that pain that i went through when i was very very small and uh, it was just very young age that i decided i only wanted to be a doctor and nothing else you know so um, i focused on that i went to medical school in india finished my med school there, came even during my med school to the US, did a lot of my rotations here in the US, went to residency in Michigan, then I went to Iowa. I was in a particular visa called J1 visa, which required me to serve um, at an underserved place in the United States in order to like stay back in the US uh, rather than going back to my home country. So I picked that route, uh, which is why I had to like serve in Iowa during those three years. And then um, I moved to Harrisburg book. Pennsylvania, and uh, this time I was still continuing to be a hospitalist, which is uh, those we take care of those acute patients that are admitted in the hospital, and uh, they are usually twelve-hour shifts, seven days straight. You know, on your feet, you're like literally running. You know, you're just making sure that flow is going really fast in the hospital. People are coming in, out. Everything is depends on the hospitalists. So you know, like they're literally the uh, trunk of the hospital, uh, and that's what I was doing. And um, I unfortunately. Had a uh, terrible fall and an injury on twenty uh, sixth of November twenty nineteen. Uh, that was actually just a week before I had the flight to Paris, and uh, I know. Oh, <laughs> I love to travel. I've been to like so many beautiful countries like Iceland, Switzerland. And um, I had a terrible fall, and uh, that's it. You know, one thing added to another. I was not getting better, and uh, things didn't improve as fast as I wanted. Even if I was a doctor, my injury was like, no, I'm going to take my own sweet time to get better. And that's it. So, Did you think that somehow that because you were a
0: a doctor that you would heal faster than other people? Was that something that you thought?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I will do physical therapy like, you know, four times a week, you know, get faster. You know? It doesn't work that way. And that was like, you know, oh, wow. And so many times people also say, oh, you're a doctor. How are you sick? I'm like, oh, and that kind of, you know, grounded me to like, I am a human too. You know, like it will take me time. So um, that was uh, quite, um, I would say, Um, humbling experience Uh, and it was also like you know oh I don't get any concession right if I'm a doctor and uh, because I had injuries in my legs I started gaining weight I was very active and then boom from 100 miles per hour to like you know literally being homebound for almost an year on the crutches it was a terrible experience you see how much I talk so like I had nobody yeah yeah.
0: well and then we had the pandemic right so the pandemic. So yes, and then that made everything harder, I'm sure. It's
1: very hard, like, you know, no housekeeping help, no nobody to help me with cooking. And just that silence that I experienced for being such an active person was so deafening to be in those four walls. And I started gaining weight. And uh, um, one thing I would like to tell all the youth and women especially, I did something different here, Bella. Um, when I gained weight, I just paused. I had to have that empathy for myself. I was dealing with so many things all by myself. So I passed. I got myself like really, really beautiful clothes, actually really branded clothes, two sizes up, and I draped my body with dignity. I had to do that for myself, like, and I'm like, no. It, it's fine, you know, whatever I am, it does. Nobody takes away that I'm a human. Nobody takes away that, you know, I'm a physician. Nobody takes away my knowledge, my humor, nothing, you know, like it's just a temporary thing at that point. And those humans, I'm not going to suffer. So once I did that, Bella, I loved myself. It didn't stop there, you know, it really didn't stop. So, there.
0: so, so, okay, so let's rewind for just a minute. So you're stuck in the house, you're on crutches the whole world is shut down and like a lot of us you know you, during that time you gain weight so instead of going into the closet and saying oh i feel so bad because i tried these things on and they don't fit me anymore you simply said let me give my body something that fits it yeah. and and that was you know that is such um an interesting thing to do because that is not how we're supposed, right, Antony? That's not how we're supposed to think about ourselves. We're supposed to think us about ourselves as, as always striving for, the, you know, some some vision of perfection, right? Of of. And you're talking here about having empathy for Anjani and saying, "Hey, you're in this situation. You're stuck in the house. You're on crutches. Um, you know, we we have a pandemic going on. Why not enjoy at least enjoy what I'm wearing?" So that that was really that was really. A tremendous insight. Was there something in your past, in your history that led you to having that insight to, you know, to not just diving into the, the, you know, the guilt or the sort of the fat phobia about about how your body had changed?
1: Very deep question. And I did, because when I was going through so many things, including, you know, not being able to work, being stuck in the house, having this weight gain, no help, I only saw that 12 year old child, you know, who was wow. really holding those ashes and saying, I just want to be a doctor. I want to be happy. And I'm like, no, I've, I've already like worked very hard in my life and having that empathy for yourself helps having empathy for others. And I explained that when you said perfection, perfection is one of the things that blocks you from showing that empathy. So if you're, not having the empathy for yourself. You want everything to be perfect. You're not able to have empathy for somebody who is not perfect. So I think it all begins with how you treat yourself. And I would like to like add a couple more things that um, block empathy. One is perfection. You know, you're not able to like express empathy when you're blocking it with the idea of perfection. The second one is time constraints. You know, like you think that, you know, I don't have time for somebody. And third one is, um, it is the fear, you know, like you don't want, what would you ask from me? Would you ask me my money? Would you ask me my time? Mm. What what is, how do I like uh, uh, navigate the situation? And also a lot of people think, I really don't know what's happening with this person. How can I have empathy? How do we overcome that by asking questions? You know, hey, I, Bella, I don't know what you're going through. I have not experienced that. Can I, please, you know, sit with you and listen what you're feeling? So I think you're able to do that when you have empathy for yourself. You know, you accept yourself as you are, and then you can accept the whole world. So that that was like it didn't come like in a day. It took me mm. about. It took me like a lot of, you know, going back and forth. But once I did that, Bella, that was off my, you know, table, you know, then I could focus on the other things because things did not stop going downhill just with that. So I had a consequential injury in my good leg. Now I had injuries in both my legs because I was putting weight on the good leg. Oh no. Yes. And then by then I had exhausted my FMLA. And my um, disability short-term disability and I was let go from my job and wow it was, wow it was just the down. like you know one thing was adding to another one thing was adding to another and that week was the toughest week of everything because that was the week when I was like okay I've worked all my life to be a doctor and snip second it was taken away you know like it was just that 10 minute call from like, you know, the HR was, I, I couldn't even ask a question. I couldn't believe what I was hearing for the, you know, like, I was like, did I, did you say what you said? You know? So, right. They just, they just go through the script with you. Right. That's a, I don't remember what I heard.
0: You I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. But they they have a certain thing that they're going to say and they say it. And then, yeah, And that, that can, that is, it uh, can be absolutely devastating. Right. Because, because, Anthony is a doctor, right? That is you. That was what you set out to be since you were 12 years old. And now suddenly, well, they didn't take away from you being a doctor. They took away that job. But the job, we can get so ingrained that we and the job are the same thing, right? And we're not.
1: Yeah. It was my identity, right? Like I. Yeah. don't know anything else to do. So where do I go? What do I do now? You know, it was just that kind of feeling that I felt helpless, so helpless. Like I, there was nothing I could do and I had injuries and I started looking for other kinds of jobs. Nobody would give me a job because I didn't have experience in the current role that I'm Uh in, which was mainly a desk job. There were other things that people were advising me in terms of going for a primary care physician or you know doing a nighttime job, but everything required me to be on my feet, which was like a bad idea at that time. Like the injury was so bad. Um, so that, that's when I actually um, saw a job posting open, open up in Danville Geisinger, which was for the current role that I'm doing. And uh, I, I took a chance, Bella. And here is like another point that I'm giving to all our listeners: you will hear no many times. I did hear no from other people. I still approached my medical director and I said, "I, I have applied for this job, but I would like to talk to you. Would you be pleased? Would you please call me once? You know." And I left him my number because he was a doctor within my system. He didn't know who I was but he was so kind and it was his empathy that allowed him to make that phone call to like figure out who's this girl in Harrisburg who's asking me to call her, let me talk to her. So I, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to talk to him one-on-one and uh, I told him only one thing, I don't have an experience in this job but if you give me this job, I will work very hard. And that's all, I, I didn't have to say anything else. He set up a formal meeting for me and I did not take it lightly, Bella. I was studying for boards. Like for this particular role, you need a board exam. Um, You don't need it, but then I, like, I was like, no, you know, I don't want somebody to just give me the job. I want to deserve it. Like, you Uh know, I really want to do it well. So I studied for the boards, and by the time I got to the interview, like, you know, I had all the theory knowledge. I knew, like, you know, what this job was about. I didn't do the job, but I had a theory uh, idea of. So I smashed the interview, like, you know, I knew that I did really well and there were some uh, issues going on with um, uh, with the legal side of it, where they could not take me from the hospital that I was working. I was technically still like, you know, on the payroll uh, because I was exchanging uh, it with the PTO. So they, they had to iron out those things before they took me onto this role. Uh, however, I think it, it was... Um, My response, my natural response to my boss's empathy, that I gave my blood, sweat, and tears to this role. And I did Mm -hmm. so well within no time, like, you know, like so well. And uh, those little things that leadership does really matter and they uplift the employees. Um, And I would like to add a little small example. For example, my office was on the first floor, Bella. It was close to an exit door, it was actually attached to a disabled parking. Like they thought through every single process of my transition. And I remember everything. I remember every single time that uh, my boss or the rest of the team took care of my needs, whether it's like that 15 minutes early I had to leave or 10 minutes late that I had to come if I had a physical therapy session going on. So those little things, uh, when you treat it as a human being first, rather than, you know, like whatever your role is, you just feel so fulfilled and i think i just like yeah i just excel for like you know in no time so i'm i'm very happy that you know the transition happened that the way it was supposed to happen in the in the toughest moments of my life very very tough moments
0: so even in that really tough moment something good was going to happen and yeah. you took you taking a chance was was part of that but the other really big part of that story is the is the empathy that this medical director had for you. But I think it's also so interesting, Anjani, that this, you know, these small accommodations, right? That made because of your physical situation, what a big difference they make, right? Yeah. And and so that's something I think that we don't talk about a lot in continuous improvement. When we're working with people, I know when we talk about this concept of respect for people, um. Somebody's ability to do something may be different from yours, right? They may, they may have a different way of seeing things, their mobility might be different. Um, their their stamina might be different mm-hmm. uh maybe different from from other people on the, on the team and so i think what you're saying so part of empathy is not just looking at that sort of from the legal americans with disabilities perspective but from the person perspective yes. so what could i do What are the things that i could do like putting, you know, making sure that the office is on the first floor or making, you know, making sure that the, you know, the signboard, the words on the signboard are big enough to see, you know, those kinds of things, which actually probably help everybody else as well, can make a really big difference to so engagement and retention. I mean, you're obviously extremely engaged now. Yes. Because of this.
1: Yes. It was his ability, Dr. Leshinsky, my boss, it was his ability to look beyond my resume. You know, like I went yeah, back, I after working very hard for one year, I when we had this one-on-one, like you know, for the year evaluation, uh, he said, You're doing so well, da, da, da. And then I'm like, Okay, why did you take me? You know, like you knew I didn't know anything. Oh, <laughs> uh, now the truth comes out, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I asked him that. And then, you know, he said, uh, your enthusiasm in your voice. You know, I knew I could train you, but um, I, I saw that. And and how many people like look at these small things and, you know, not look at the resume. So um, I think that was like fantastic. And that gave me, um, that made me like, you know so much better as a person to see somebody beyond their resume and we can actually get good people and teach them skills, you know. But, uh, you know, maybe training somebody to be a good person and. and have empathy, I don't know. Like well, like, you know, it's it, it may be harder.
0: I don't I don't know about that, but certainly, you know, one of the challenges I know that people face all the time in looking for jobs is that when you look at job requirements, mm-hmm. that they are listed in terms of skills or degrees that people should have. Okay. And um so First of all, it puts some people off, right? Because you could look at the list of skills and say, well, I don't, you you know, I, don't, I haven't done that. I don't do that. I don't know how to do that. Um, or perhaps the degree may be somewhat different from the one that they're asking for. The problem, of course, is a lot of this is done by machines. So the machine just goes to the list and says, well, this person goes into the, you know, their resume is going to go into the the, the reject pile. Um so it's a really interesting question to me for in hiring that you you know you what there are probably there are certain attitudes that you want for a healthy uh, culture for a continuous improvement environment there are certain attitudes uh ways of perceiving the world ways of treating other people that we want to hire for mm-hmm. um and uh but you don't see that listed on a job description very very often, right? So I would think for your role, Anthony, that that empathy is actually a really big part of the role, right, because you, as you said, you're kind of in the middle of, you know, a patient, I you know, a, a healthcare provider, an insurance company, and, you know, probably more than one, in some cases, more than one person in each, each of those places. They're all real people, all trying to do the job as they have been you know told yes. to do it including, including the patient you know whose job is to is to you know try to try to get better or try to you know stay as healthy as they possibly can under yes. the circumstances yes. um everybody but everybody's needs are different right everybody yes. has um has has different needs so how does that that um sort of the empathy skill that bone that you have for empathy how does that work in this type of situation where you're dealing with not one, but, two, you know, two, with three, three competing sets
1: of um, needs? Great. Uh, first, I would like to add the, you know, like the resume and the skills part of it. Because yeah. When I said the networking, you know, the second part uh, and the networking. One, yeah. The hope, and the second one is networking take that extra step, you know, make those connections. Um, I did not just apply to the job and leave it there, Bella. Like I reached out to the medical director within my system. I asked for an interview. It might not always work out, you know, like you reach 10 people, maybe like one or two would even respond. So I would say, um, and when you find that perfect fit, respect it and keep working hard. Even today, Bala, I work as hard as the day I promised him that I would work hard. So I think that is a, it's it's a two way street. Whether it is love or whether it is your you know uh, workplace, it's a two way street. So that's where I will leave that. Now you asked a great question. How do I handle and how do I use this muscle of empathy for all yeah. different different roles? So here is the thing. Um, so let's come to patients. I don't directly deal with patients, but I had a right. scenario where um, one of the doctors had a patient who was very upset that, you know, she got a really big bill because she did not have the understanding of what exactly happened behind the scenes. You know, like, why did she get that bill? Um, rightly so, you know, as for the insurance that she has and everything, she did not, you know, she she had to get that bill and we there's not much we could do about it. But it was, you know, I I really wanted to reach out on the behalf of her own physician, because sometimes when, you know, like the physician and the patient, they might be at like a little bit of a rift, you know, the patients might just be upset with that physician. So I had to step up, go beyond my role. It was not my role to like call that patient. I just had to do it to protect our physician. So, because I didn't want them to like lose out on that physician-patient relationship for a bill. You know, it's a big amount. I'm not denying that, but, More than that, like, you know, I didn't want that bond to break, so I reached out to the patient, and once I explained it from an insurance perspective and what her doctor did, and you know why that bill came through, she calmed down and she understood what it was. So I think it's always that gap in the knowledge you know whether it is physicians or patients or insurance companies that communication is something that um, is the next part of empathy you know like what is blocking we are not able to express empathy because we don't communicate properly uh, we don't tell them that you know hey i'm busy you know i want to be there for you but how about you know i come after a certain time or a certain day so the communication part is very important with empathy with the providers, I was a provider not too long ago. So it was Mm -hmm. not really a big, you know, I really didn't need a big empathy muzzle there or like to imagine things. I was right there, like just not too long ago. So for me, uh, just being mindful, you know, like how is their day going? Like I know what happens on a particular day. So I don't bother them till 12 o'clock because I don't wanna be scratched. So I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna text you till 12 o'clock. You take care of your patients. And what I do is also translates into a lot of like, you know, patient satisfaction and revenue. So I am very mindful of um, what I, when I'm approaching them, how I'm approaching them. So again, empathy teaches you to be mindful. So that is the second component of how I take care of our physicians. And the other thing I also do is like, I pulled up all these presentations, I made all these presentations and I did something silly, I did something humorous where I had <laughs> these presentations where, you know, like there is a cartoon character of a surgeon doing the surgery and somebody gets a phone saying that, you know, okay, you know, Dr. Anjani is texting you now. So it's just for them to laugh that, you know, yeah, I know I catch them at a wrong time, you know, like I catch them in the middle of their surgeries in the middle of their, you know, hey, can you change this order? Because, you know, this is the right thing to do for the insurance. It's annoying. I've been there. Mm, mm, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's annoying. I know that. I know I'm annoying, you know, (laughs) and I get paid to be annoying. So how how good is that? So, So I know that, but to... By adding humor, I'm acknowledging that you know I'm annoying, and that builds a bond. And they laugh at it, and then they listen to me. You know, like the, what, why am I doing that? Why am I bothering them? So that's how I was able to build connections in the first year of my role here, because it was very challenging. Bella, I came to a different hospital; nobody knew my face. I came to triple the size of a hospital. You know, with so many departments, nobody knew what I was doing. Nobody knew. Why I was doing what I was doing. So it was very important to like you know build connections, build those relationships. It takes a lot of front end work, but once you do it, you know it becomes smooth. So that that's what I did with my physicians. Now what I do with my uh, the insurance companies that is uh, that's where respect comes. You know like you respect what the medical director of the insurance company is telling you. Yeah, you might sometimes you know you look at a case from your perspective, they're looking at it from their perspective. Um, that's where I would say, not only with insurance companies, Vela, one has to know when to let go. You can't keep fighting something. So that's where I kind of, you know, sometimes I lose, many times I win. Uh, and it's not about my me losing or winning, where we're both, like, I bring them on board that we are both doing this for the patient. So, wow. um, so that, that's where, like, you know, uh, it all comes down to, and sometimes I don't strain any relationship for, you know, like a small thing that I'm careful about those things. Like I approach on a different day uh, because once a broken relationship, it's very difficult to like, you know, build it back. And uh, so that's, that's again, you know, I want to talk about it. And in general, not only a workplace, you know, even in your personal relationships, it's a marathon. There'll be a lot of chances for you to like, you know, patch up are you really being mindful about it? Are you really using those chances? Are you communicating? You know, like there are times the doctors are upset, you know, that I'd leave them for that day, you know, like, because I don't want to like, you know, keep telling them, no, this is not the right thing to do because it's, again, you know, X dollars versus like, you know, 10 X dollars. Like it's not just about that, it's about the relationship because I don't wanna like, you know, lose the physician. I want to lose my relationship with the physician. So I don't want to lose the relationship in my personal life. So it's like a marathon. So uh, that's how I look at it, Bella. And uh, um, and leadership I think uh, has been like, you know, so far good, like it's, I learned from my leadership because like, you know, uh, from everybody about my boss up, um, I think, they are there because of their empathy. And that's the common trait I saw in my boss and my boss's boss. And like, I just have a very small chain, of like, uh, like short chain of command. And I see that that if you wanna go higher up, and this is um, another small little thing I wanna tell for all our listeners. If you want to go higher up, every person I saw higher up had one common trait, that is empathy. Uh, so that that's where, I get that.
0: That's beautiful, and that's also quite unusual, right? That's a, that's a, that's a very unusual trait to see in several levels of leadership. It
1: is so, yeah. It is, yeah. Really beautiful. It is
0: really beautiful. Yeah. So you, you, you found, you found a really, a, a really good organization. To work in where th- where that's valued and, and where where people it sounds like people are really seen as whole people, which is a, which is what we all what we all want, right? We all want to be seen, and we all want to we all want to be respected. I think this role in and of itself, which is I think you know not a, a I think a very a necessarily a typical role, is an example of that, right? That. There is this role that this bridge between the the healthcare providers and the insurance companies um, acknowledges the difficulty of that work yes. um, and the importance of it. And I know that one of the things that, you know, one of the things that certainly I experienced in my life was that my uh, primary care physician quit because he could was tired of dealing with insurance
1: mm-hmm. and he
0: just felt that he was spending i think he was i think you know he's spending more time in his day dealing with insurance than he was seeing patients and that wasn't what he went into medicine for um and i thought that was such a terrible loss of talent um to do that to yeah. do that so yeah. um yeah
1: and that's why we created this role, and many organizations big ones have this role to offer uh-huh. that you know stress of dealing with insurance companies uh, from our physicians and let them just take care of their patients. You know, like we have to like streamline it that way, and uh, it's it works very very beautifully. And uh, I I was also very lucky, Bella, that I unexpectedly had an opportunity to work with senior citizens in our community. So not only I'm able to like, you know, uh, do all that I do in my work, I also like had an opportunity to see what happens in our community. I'll tell you a little story how this like, you know, like- uh, Yeah, go ahead. So again, it goes back to empathy. So one of my friends just called me and said, Anjani, you know, like my patient didn't show up on this Zoom meeting, the Zoom, like, you know, online televisits. And I was just being a typical doctor. I'm like, yeah, you know how patients are sometimes they don't show up and da-da-da. Um, and and uh, I get this message on LinkedIn asking for a donation for one of these nonprofits in my um, community. And it was from a, another Geisinger doctor, another doctor from my o- own system. So I just thought it's my own system, you know, like I will just donate something, but I uh-huh. just... On it to know what am I donating for. I go in there to see that um, there were senior citizens in our community who had no idea how to use a tablet, how to use an iPhone, how to do a televisit. And that was my aha moment. I'm like, oh my God, like if they don't know how to do it, how are they going to show up for a televisit?
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. And then, like, inst- you know, I had, I, w- I just, it didn't take me too long. It was just immediate response that. Do I really give like maybe $1,500 and you know wash off my hands or do I go into the community to see what's happening? So I asked him, hey, Dr. Abdul, can I please come and volunteer? You know, like I I, I wanna just come. And he said, sure, come on in. And I literally just went that same weekend, Bella, and it was an eye-opener. Beautiful seniors and, you know, like extremely nice. And uh, I was like so touched. Um, I sat down with them. And they didn't even know how to take a phone call. They had an iPhone for like maybe two years, three years, and they she kept canceling the phone. And uh, just by two hours of me spending time, and actually, like you know, even uh, calling their grandchildren, talking to you know Susie's grandson, and uh, uh-huh. she excited about him going to college, are even, you know, just little, little things about them being able to connect with their families. Now they're so happy. They are able to like do all their televisits. It took us some time, but we, we got there. And some of the seniors were advanced, you know, enough and they learned quickly. Now they're helping other senior citizens in their community. And we created that ripple effect. So that was just a beautiful experience. And Bella, what I got in Britain was I just had a coughing spell and three senior citizens ran in different directions to get water and we miss out on these things. We always are saying, okay, this person doesn't love me. That person doesn't care for me. Mm -hmm. You know, go out into the world. There is so much more love. You might not find it the way you want it, but there's so many unconventional places, if you might call it, that, you know, there's so much love, there's so much care and uh, the you know, like I, I, when I was a hospitalist rounding, there was no way I would see a senior citizen sleeping. And the TV is like, you know, at like the, it's so noisy. Would you sleep? You know, ask yourself, like put yourself in their shoes. How are you able to sleep? So I just go and turn off the TV first, you know, if, and if. Mm, I, yeah. I do that. Yeah. often turn off the TV You know, let them sleep. And if they're having this cold plate of, you know, food beside them, would you eat the cold food? I mean, come on. So first of all, for me, hospital food is like a big no. I don't think I ever ate it. So <laughs> <laughs> my hospital will probably like kill me for this, but, you know, But you know, having that little empathy, you know, I just go to the nurse and tell her, hey, get a warm plate of food, you know, ask the kitchen to like make it. Just those little things, get them help to eat. So sleeping, you know, I mean, sleep and food are the healers, you know, like, yeah, medicine heals, but. This is your own body to heal yourself. So those little things are something that I'm asking everybody, just not physicians, to think of, you know, what is the other person who like, can I do it? You know, can I sleep in that noisy room? So I want that empathy to be, you know, like really like think about it for another second. Um, it's it's about belonging, Bella. It's about you know how you how good you feel when you do this. Um, I had my neighbors then no more very nice couple, elderly couple. Whenever I park my car, like you know they're sitting in the balcony and we're chatting. And I think you know because uh, uh, because Mr. Smith is a little hard of hearing. I think the whole building knows my business now because I'm trying yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> Where I went. And- You're telling everything, huh? Out loud. Yeah, like so you know like but. Every time I parked my car, they were there in the balcony to greet me, you know, like, it's just coming home for somebody, you know, it's not, you know, you might think that's not my family, you know, but start thinking they're your family, you know, so, uh, and uh, those little things, you know, I, I lost both of them this year, and when I park, it's an empty balcony, so. Uh, Aww. It- God, but, you know, mm-hmm. like those that last year, I enjoyed my conversations with them. You know, They were so excited every time I traveled somewhere or whatever I did. Like I said, you know, probably the whole building knows now because I was like, trying to tell them what I was doing. So uh, that's where I'm coming from. You know, like it's life becomes very meaningful when you're actually mindful and you're present. You're present every you know, minute of your life. Slow down. It's not a competition.
0: Yeah. And in continuous improvement, we talk about the concept of go and see. And go and see is, you know, you don't just make suppositions about how things are working or why they're not working. You actually need to go and see and observe. And that's exactly what you did. But I love what you added out to that, Anjani. So you went to see what was happening with the senior citizens and you learned about. problems that they were having with the technology but what you found was something in addition which was love and so you found you, you 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 took the step of going and seeing and then the you got this reward of seeing not only you know that people could learn to use their iPhone, but also seeing how they're taking care of each other and how that community works. And um, you know that's a wonderful benefit of going and seeing and you know being in the neighborhood and talking to people and and being engaged with the community. Um, yeah, so thank you for sharing that. That's that's really that's really terrific. Thank you, Liz. And one of the things that you know that that I think that a lot of um, people you know hope for from the medical community from healthcare providers is more empathy but we see people in healthcare being so rushed yes. right There's, you you were talking about the pace when you were a hospitalist um, you know i i see the pace that that, that uh, physicians and and nurses and respiratory and therapists everybody else needs to work just to you know just to keep up and uh, particularly as staffing levels continue i think not to be where they could be What's your answer to people who say, yeah, but we don't have time? You know, I don't have time to pick up the remote and, you know, turn the TV off. I don't have time to go down and talk to the nurses. Um, you know, I don't have time to ask, you know, one more question of my patient um, during a visit because, um, you know, some continuous improvement person has told me that I have, you know, 17 minutes for this visit or what, whatever it is. What's your what's your response to that?
1: Oh, I have been through all of that, Bella. I've been have you? That. Yeah. <laughs> so Yes. So uh, here's the thing, you know, human brain is all about like, you know, risk versus benefit. You know, we're always like weighing what's going on. Uh, and that's where, you know, you have to create abundance. I cannot create more than 24 hours time. But, you know, like using that effectively is something that, you know, you it, it comes again, comes down to empathy, you know, how do you create that abundance? You know, like I am this, the thing that I do in the community is completely nonprofit. It's unrelated to my job. It's a nonprofit organization. How do I take time for all of these things and also progress in my own uh, life? I still go on vacations. I do every single thing. Nothing in my life has changed. However, you know, like how are we using that time? You know, like what are we doing with the rest of the time, you know? like. in in your work time. So um, I think uh, for me, I just feel like just rearranging things and seeing how it goes really helps. Again, having said that, Bella, I also know the other side of it. I would like every person to be considerate to all the healthcare providers yeah, really, really pulled in and COVID has been like really harsh. So again, like I said, every relationship is a two-way street, you know, whether it is your personal life or professional life or your relationship with your doctor. So today, not only to the healthcare providers, but everybody who is watching today, please um, approach your providers with a little bit of more empathy, maybe, you know, a genuine thank you, uh, you know, just just telling that, hey doc, I know you're busy, you know, when can you give me some time? And that actually, you know, like, don't you think if you speak like that, you know, the doctor would be like, oh my God, this, so we are always taught, how do we like, you know, recognize a patient who is unhappy, angry, or, you know, so on and so forth. We have to address that, First, you know, I have to go and say, hey, I know that you're angry, or I see that you're angry, and that calms a person person down. You acknowledge the feeling first. So acknowledge, and it's again two ways, you know, acknowledging that, you know, hey, doctor, I know you're busy. When can I have time from you? When can you talk to me? You know, um, I would like to know about my mother, you know, is there a specific time I will keep myself available so I think again it's two-way street Bella you know we're trying yeah health, and I know what it is you know to be like really rushed um so I think it's a two-way street I would just request everybody please um I I've seen how our healthcare providers we're at the like I said you know I'm a human at the end of the day my injuries take time as well, you know, my healing, whether it is mental health or physical health, which a lot of us are ha- battling during this COVID time, we feel the same pain. So please be kind.
0: I love that. Please be kind. Anjali, how can people find you? What's the best way to connect with you?
1: I am available on LinkedIn and only LinkedIn, so you can find my uh, LinkedIn profile and my messages are open to everybody. So if you want to like know a little bit about um, our the role that I do, physician advisor, or you want to know more about how to study for that role, I'm uh, very happy to help you. And uh, that's all I have to say for today. And anything else, I'm happy to answer, Bella. Well, thanks. So what is your one piece of advice for a young person starting out, Anthony? For all the young people, I would say that um, again, you know, it's very difficult to see how uh, magnificent and how huge life is from where you're standing but it is really beautiful. And uh, there will be a lot of ups and downs and uh, try to build an ecosystem. Try to build those authentic people in your life that will cheer for you, that will hold your back when you fall and uh, you live, you love, you fall down, you build yourself back again. This will happen in everybody's life no matter what. So when you're building yourself back again, you should have already built that ecosystem Of people, really authentic people who would help you get back on your feet again. So that's my advice to the youth. And uh, I would say uh, build that empathy because empathy is like you know it's it's there is a famous saying uh, by Mahatma Gandhi. You know, an eye for an eye uh, makes the whole world blind. That's context of you know war. But if you don't have empathy, you know, imagine if nobody has empathy. Where are we heading towards? So build that you know to your friend build that
0: so hope networking and empathy yes. those are hope your messages for us today yes all right Anjani Mahabashya, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of lean
1: thank you so much for having me bella
0: this is bella ankle and i'd like to thank Anjani Mahabashia for being my guest on the edges of lean how strong are your empathy muscles would you like to learn more We would love to hear from you. Find Anjani on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Subscribe and tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.